On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we dabble in the world of dark tourism. From scenes of horror and tragedy to sites of major world history, join us on a journey where the backstory packs a history-making punch. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley. Good to see you, Michael. Uh, something very different on this edition of the podcast. The pull of history is a powerful reason why people travel. And dark tourism, or disaster tourism, is a very potent factor in this mix. Uh, sites of major world history, whether it be death, disaster, or destruction that happened, took place on that particular site. Absolutely. And dark tourism throws up so many possibilities. Mm. For example, you might have been on a pilgrimage to Gallipoli for Anzac Day. Aye. Um, You might have found yourself in Italy perusing the echoes of nature's powerful destruction at Pompeii. Yes. Um, And with Kiwis spreading their wings, we thought we'd devote this episode of Kiwi Tripsters to the power of dark tourism with a walk through some truly memorable destinations. And these are cradles of disaster, of evil and past sins that very much bent the arc of history. Now, here's the thing. Okay, popular press and media have termed what we are going to chat about as dark or disaster tourism. Mm. And we've certainly debated this term with no real conclusion, except that these terms are often a little misleading. I mean, you could hardly call the Holocaust, or Shoah as its proper name, at the hands of the Nazis a disaster. That's a little glib. It's a little... Well, it's a lot understated, really. (laughs) Also, there's been a bit of judgment on those who do venture on these types of travels as ambulance chasers or morbid people. But that's not correct. That's so true. And uh, we can't just look at our Disney-fied history because not everything has been sunshine, rainbows, dolphins and daffodils. (laughs) Exactly. Um, These events shaped our society, our world, the way we live, our laws, our rules, our customs, the whole shebang, really. Indeed, indeed. Now, let's start with London and the building that has lorded over London for a millennium, the Tower of London. Not only does it tie the great city to its epic history, including where Guy Fawkes was locked up, remember, remember, the 5th of November, (laughs) uh, but it's been the scene of so many macabre and grisly acts. So true, Andrew. And I thought um, the reason we'd mentioned the Tower of London is because it's still such a gobstoppingly popular attraction. About three million people go through it every year. Yeah. Um, and this place is a mecca for the dark tourist. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. What are we talking about? That is pretty much the tale of the tape of Henry VIII's wives. And this is uh, where the story of his second wife, Anne Boleyn, ended because it was here in the Tower of London that Anne literally lost her head after displeasing her husband. Now, if you're keen to explore the dark arts of torture, uh, the tower lays it on thick, including you can still see where prisoners are scratched into the stone walls with their fingernails. It's quite unsettling. And the three main instruments of torture employed at the tower were the rack, the scavenger's daughter, and the manacles. The rack was most widely used uh, as the instrument of torture, designed to stretch the victim's body, eventually dislocating the limbs, ripping them from their sockets. Uh, 
<laughs> Lovely. And you can see it on display. The scavenger's daughter was actually the opposite. The body was compressed rather than stretched. If you had a choice, I'm not sure what I would opt for. I am not sure either. I think I'd make an inquiry about the manacles. Sorry. Could I have a look at those, please? <laughs> yes. uh, by the way, as for Guy Fawkes, he was not the mastermind behind the gunpowder plot, but yeah. um, he certainly became its figurehead. He did. And unfortunately for him, he was the one caught red-handed uh, and was taken to the tower. After he was incarcerated and tortured there, yeah. he was then barged to Westminster Hall to be executed, although he was quite canny because he was obviously aware about how, at the time, being hung, drawn, and courted was the procedure. Yeah. The idea of being drawn and courted freaked him out so much that um, before he was hanged, he fell from the scaffold so that it would break his neck so he wouldn't have to endure the agony of being drawn and courted. He's a clever little guy, wasn't he? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's certainly a lot more to admiring the crown jewels and the ravens at the tower. Yes. Mind you, the ravens were one of my favourite bits. I love the ravens, majestic animals. London walking tours ha- tours have been a hugely popular pastime in visiting the magnificent city, but it's the Jack the Ripper tours that continue to engross the generations. Absolutely huge. I lived in London just over 20 years ago, and it's the White Chapel area in the East End that plays host to these Jack the Ripper tours. There's about 10 of these held every night. The one I would suggest if you are heading to London and you do want to take one of these tours, go for the Ripper Vision walking tour. And the reason for that is because they um, zhuzh it up a bit by projecting historic images of the late 1880s onto the sides of the brick walls in the East End where many of these heinous crimes occurred. Yeah, it's rather uh, rather unsettling tour, that yeah. one. Because you know, Jack the Ripper, five particularly brutally murderers of prostitutes have been attributed to Jack the Ripper. Yeah. But of course, just who he was, who this guy, we think guy, of course, yeah. uh, remains a mystery. Yes. He was never caught and there's no shortage of suspects. Butchers were thoroughly investigated due to the manner of the mutilations, which seemed kind of obvious, yeah. as well as doctors and surgeons, as many believe the culprit must have had some anatomical knowledge. Theories range from a failed barista, barista? Barrister, I'd barista, say. Barrister, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe a barista. And <laughs> a Polish Jew to the Queen Victoria's grandson. And yeah. there are now over 100 named suspects. And in fact, I think last year or the year before, another book came out Yes, with a theory of who's Jack the Ripper? It's one of the great mysteries, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the tour guide... Uh, on the Ripper Vision walking tour that I did, uh, actually dresses up as a London Bobby in the Victorian age. So you really yeah. do feel like you're walking back in time uh, and you get such a great sense of the poverty, grinding poverty at the time in the East End uh, and the reign of terror, as they called it, when you know all of these prostitutes were slaughtered. And the women who were targeted, um, you start to learn a, a lot about their lives as well. Um the tour takes in some very key crime sites. One of the highlights, if you can call it that, is Ten Bells Pub in Spitalfields, which feels like it's frozen in time from the 1880s. And this is where many of the prostitutes, like Annie Chapman and Mary Jane Kelly, uh, would drink and pick up clients. It really does feel like dark history unplugged. Yeah. There you go, or plugged in. Just ahead, we take a trip to somewhere completely different, Hiroshima. Plus, we look at some of our most inhumane history in Europe, Poland, and Germany, to be precise, back in a tick.
You're back with Kiwi Tripsters as we journey the world with a focus on dark tourism, major sites of world history. Now, Mike has been to Hiroshima. Uh, is the atomic bomb legacy the big visitor magnet? It's a good question. I suspect so. It's definitely why I went there. Hiroshima's darkest days have given rise to a booming visitor industry. I'd be fascinated to know if it didn't happen, how many people would visit Hiroshima? Uh, the passage of time obviously helps, so it doesn't feel as raw as it would have back in the yeah, 1940s. Yeah. But the thing which really struck me, Hiroshima is a shining example of the enduring power of post-disaster tourism if it's done right. Okay, so what were your first impressions when you visited? How did Hiroshima strike you? Well, despite its horrific backstory, what struck me and surprised me most is that Hiroshima is a beautiful city. It is stunningly appealing, spotlessly clean as you'd expect from the Japanese, Mm -hmm. and it's swathed in these fabulous leafy green spaces. uh, spaces. The rivers are curvaceous. The whole thing feels very sensual when you're there. Mm. Uh, They've got magnificent street art. It really is the ultimate strollable city. And interestingly, the new Hiroshima did not try and replicate how the city was pre-war. So there are actually very few landmarks uh, preserved, and that was a deliberate decision. Interestingly, and we get to that uh, with Germany as well. Okay, so let's flick through some of the essential highlights of Hiroshima. Well, the most haunting reminder of the bombing, which instantly incinerated tens of thousands of residents, is what's called the A-Bomb Dome, which is now a World Heritage Site. Now, this landmark was actually the city's exhibition hall, and it's the only building that was deliberately left standing uh, post-bombing because it's situated at ground zero. So when the first bomb was dropped... It exploded 500 metres above the building, killing its occupants instantly. And what you see today, twisted girders, gaping holes, piles of rubble, and a shell-like appearance. It is still shockingly compelling. And compellingly shocking, too. Mm. Uh, So Hiroshima Castle has been rebuilt. Yes, and it's the only building that was faithfully replicated after the war, given its history spans, well, a millennia, really. The castle is long and slender, and what I love about it, Andrew, is it seems to just float on the moat wrapped around it. It's a very welcome mood enhancer to counterbalance the emotional weight of Hiroshima's more recent history. And the amazing thing about the castle is that when you walk into its main courtyard, you'll notice there are a stand of old trees that still sport the crude scorch marks from the bombing. Wow. Those trees are survivors. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's uh, there are numerous monuments in the city. What are the big ones? What are the standouts? Well, draped along that very curvaceous riverside are the Peace Memorial Park, and there's a swag of exquisite monuments there. I think the saddest is the Children's Monument, and this was actually inspired by an 11-year-old girl who developed leukaemia about a decade after the bombing. She believed that if she made a 1,000 paper cranes, she would overcome leukaemia. She soon died, but the monument continues to be adorned by fresh paper cranes made by school kids all over Japan, including to today. Wow. Isn't that cool? That is. In fact, I think it's become an international trend as well, where yeah. a lot of kids will from around the world will send paper cranes ahead of the anniversary each yeah, year. Yeah, you're mm. right. They do. So 
this the, the museum's perspective on the war, yeah. how confronting is that? It's very in your face. And regardless of your own perspective on the politics of war and whether the bomb should have been dropped well, by the Americans. Clearly it shouldn't have been. <laughs> the museum speaks to our basic humanity. Some of the displays are gruesome, deliberately so, particularly those who incurred horrific burns and radiation disorders. And then there's the poignant human touches like the watch. Oh, yes, the famous watch. Yeah. Now, this is the watch that stopped ticking when the bomb exploded. That's on display. Uh, You'll see various school uniforms on display, shredded and burnt by the heat wave. Okay, so what was the exhibit that really drove home to you? The horror? Yeah. Probably the sight of the charred and mangled kid's trike. Um, and this trike belonged to a three-year-old boy called Shin. He was riding it when the blast hit, and he was trapped under the rubble of his family home. He died, this three-year-old kid, and his father, who found him still clinging to the handlebars of the trike, later donated it to the museum. That one really tugged at my heart. My big takeaway about Hiroshima yeah. is its renaissance from the embers of tragedy. Um And it's been deliberately designed, the city, with its arms wide open to the world. It's a very embracing place. That is fantastic and uh, a must-see if you get a chance. Just ahead, we're going to switch continents with a focus on Europe and some of our darkest, darkest days. Back in a tick. This is Kiwi Trips, this is Mike and Andrew, and we're looking at visiting some parts of the world where history has been changed and generally where much suffering has taken place. You really cannot get much more serious or inhumane than the Nazi concentration and death camps. And this is something we have a duty to understand, I suspect. And yeah. Poland is a really good starting place in the city of Krakow. It is. Yes. A wonderful place. And yes, this is a pretty serious location for want of a better phrase. First off, actually, i got to say, you need somewhere to stay. And may I say that you cannot do better than Hotel Polski. It's in the Old Town District, about a kilometre from Krakow City. It's good value for money. In fact, you'll be totally impressed with what you get. And here's a really interesting phenomenon in Poland. All right, so many people still smoke there, right? Yes. And When I was there, it's about 40% of adult males, a few less females. The numbers are really really high. This is compared to about 11 or 12% of New Zealanders. Yep. Well, there's ashtrays on the in, on, on the streets and no one ever drops a cigarette butt. <laughs> These are some of the cleanest streets I have ever seen. If visitors drop a cigarette butt, they get frowned at and tisk tisked. It's quite incredible. That says so much for social rules. It's awesome. Yeah. Now, Auschwitz yeah. is probably the best known Nazi camp. This is just outside of Krakow, right? Yeah. Okay. So the best way to do it is get a bus trip to Auschwitz. It's about 60 or 70 kilometers out of Krakow, depending on where you start, uh, which will also take you to Birkenau. And that's only three and a half kilometers away from Auschwitz. It's a day trip, about seven or eight hours on average, can be more. You can expect to pay anywhere from 50 to 100 New Zealand dollars. But do avoid the cheaper ones because you might get it. This is a serious place. You need to have time and you need to have experienced people that, you know, show you what's going on. There are more expensive and private tours. Actually, go to TripAdvisor because they've got some fantastic suggestions and your accommodation will have uh, some information as well. 
Now, travel tip here, always make friends with the hotel staff. This is Andrew's real <laughs> deal experience because they know what's good and what is not. They do indeed. And if you if you, you make friends, they will say, yeah, no, don't. Don't go on that one, go on this one. <laughs> and I must say, the um, Hotel Polsky staff were just brilliant and gave me some very helpful tips. What did you do for your Auschwitz trip? Actually, there's a little story with that because I made friends with a taxi driver called Bogdan. Right. His mother had been a prisoner at Dachau, uh, which we'll visit soon in Munich, and he offered to take me on a day trip. Uh, for a fixed amount on his Mercedes taxi. And he he actually tried to buy me lunch and buy me. He was the coolest guy out. But he and he took me on this expanded tour. So if you can try and make friends with the taxi driver, um, do so. Uh, Look out for Bogdan. <laughs> now, the concentration camps in Poland are different from, say, Germany as they focused solely on the victims. Tell us about that. Okay, that's, yeah, there's a very, very big difference, right? And this is evident at Auschwitz and also at Birkenau. Totally. In fact, the camps are very appropriate, if you can term it that way, to what and where they were. So Auschwitz and Birkenau are focused on the victims of the crimes committed and the story of these victims, which makes total sense because, and this is part of the horrifying reality, these camps were set up in another country to punish, then eradicate the people of that country. So this becomes obvious when you compare them to camps in Germany? Yes, okay, which we will get to very shortly. Righto, let's talk about the camps. Auschwitz was an old munitions factory, so it's quite unique, which is why a lot of it still stands. Very, very sturdily built. So... Parts have been constructed too, uh, reconstructed, as it really acts as the main memorial in some respects, probably because it's the most well-known. There are audio tours and the guides are available and a lot of parts to see, such as the old kitchen block, the crematorium, uh, the electrified double perimeter fences. And there is so much to read, isn't there, as you go around the camp? Absolutely. Um, Also, the gallows, uh, where the commandant, Rudolf Hoss, was hanged after the trials. And there... uh, Auschwitz is where you'll find the famous displays of hair, shoes, glasses, and prosthetic limbs collected from the prisoners and their behind-glass walls. That's always struck me as the most chilling factor to this. Yeah. So the one thing, though, is some parts definitely are quite reconstructed, such as the display bunk rooms that are not original but have been, you know, made to look original. That's why you also go to Birkenau, or Auschwitz II, as it is called, which is only three and a half kilometres away. So what's different? Okay, Quite a bit. Completely different construction because this was set up as a death camp from day one. Auschwitz wasn't. Um, This was built as a killing machine. So you can walk into the old bunk rooms that are still standing. Oddly enough, this was one of the most sobering parts of it all. More so for me than the crematoriums because you can still see where the Jewish prisoners carved the Star of David into their bunks and the walls. And you stand where they The prisoners were all confined together sometimes for years, yeah. So from Krakow, you can hop on a train to Munich and go to Dachau. You can indeed. So this is, and then we move into the German camps now. Krakow to Munich by train, about 14 and a half hours, stop in Vienna for a couple of hours in the middle. Have a coffee. Indeed. Um, And so instead of flying, you can sleep on the overnight train in a sleeper cabin. Yeah. So you get your transport accommodation and a bit of nice rolling sightseeing uh, when you wake up all in one hit. Indeed. And it's actually cheaper doing it 
that way uh, rather than sort of flying and busing and transferring. It's more relaxing and train stops somewhere in the middle of the town. When I railed into Krakow, it was a short walk to Hotel Polski. Yeah, Easy. that's great. I remember that about Krakow. It's a very centrally located train station, isn't it? As are all the Bahnhofs in Germany. Yeah. Did you catch a train to Dachau from Munich? Yeah, so it's Germany. Trains run to the very second and there are lots of them. Dachau is a little half an hour's drive, I think, from Munich, yeah. but the train was the best option. Now, Dachau was not originally set up as a death camp like some others. It was for political prisoners within Germany that changed later. Many people have seen a photo from Dachau, haven't they? Yes. There are a few photos that have come to symbolise the camps. The big arch with Arbeit Merk Frei, uh, which is ironically work sets you free, is generally from Auschwitz, the yep. big, big iron arch, even though that phrase was at the entry to each of the 27 main camps and the over 1,000 satellite camps. Mm. The photo of the train tracks disappearing into the camp under the big wooden structure is Birkenau. And there's a commonly used photo of a gas chamber set up to look like a shower room and a close-up of the makeshift shower head that is from Dachau. Right. And in fact, if you go and stand in that very gas chamber, you can stand under that oh. particular shower head. That is quite a sobering experience as they have managed to preserve a lot of that camp. Yeah, comparatively, yes. But no camp is actually still complete. Most of the camps were torn apart before the war ended to primarily destroy evidence. But Dachau uh, still has the delousing chamber, the waiting room, the showers, and of course the infamous crematorium. And the guard towers are there, the barbed wire perimeter fences. Yep, yeah, you cannot help but know. You can feel this was really one of humanity's darkest hours. It's quite chilling. All right, next stop, Berlin. Indeed. Okay, so we're on a bit of a tour here. So Munich to Berlin, just under 11 hours by train. Got a sleeper cab, left Munich just after 10pm, arrived at Berlin just after I woke up at 9am. Brilliant. That's such a cool way to travel. I love the European trains. They run like Swiss clocks. Yes. Very reliable. Um, so don't be late because the train will not wait for you. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's an effortless way to get around Euroland. Okay. So for a final camp, a little over an hour's drive from Berlin or 46 minutes by train. Again, <laughs> take the train. Uh, Sachsenhausen concentration camp. Like the rest, it's got bits missing if you like, but some significant parts still stand. Now this has a a lot of the structure still in place, right? Indeed. And one of the most chilling parts here is the morgue and mortuary building where killed prisoners were dissected. This was so clinical and these remaining buildings reflect that in absolute vividness. It was... Oh, yeah. And being in Germany, it will have some of the Nazi story included, I okay. suspect. And that is true. So, And this is what adds to the chill factor. Because it's in Germany, the Germans own what happened. They're like, okay, this is what happened. So some of the Nazi records from the camps are displayed, along with various articles of Nazi propaganda and more. Very similar to Dachau. So it actually gives you the other side of the story, which wasn't appropriate in Poland, but is in Germany because you... You have to own it. So to get a really comprehensive overview, these four camps um, combine yeah. to give you the full picture, right? Well, yeah, let's say if it's a full... I'm not sure if you can ever get a full picture of what happened here. Uh, but if you can, if you want to seriously gain a little bit of understanding into the horrors, the brutality and inhumanity of what took place, yes, Auschwitz, Birkenau, Dachau and Sachsenhausen will give you different experiences to combine. All right. Very shortly, we are off to Gallipoli in New York. Yes, but first, off the back of Germany, let's go and look at the country that suffered the biggest losses in World War II and actually conquered Berlin. Um, stay with us.
You're back with Kiwi Tripsters as we tour the world through the prism of dark tourism in locations that shaped the course of history. Now, just prior to the pandemic, uh, Michael ventured to the Baltic states and with it, uh, Vilnius, Lithuania, that left a strong impression. Uh, is it an attractive place or does Stalin's shadow linger on? Well, I had the impression that Vilnius would be this great, oppressive, grey, urban sort of place. Mm. But the old town's architectural splendour belies its bloodstained backstory. So nearly half of the city centre was destroyed in World War II, but Mm. they've done so much restoration. Even behind the Iron Curtain, they were doing it. And today, Vilnius uh, still has this sort of fairy tale character to it. So you've got some stirring architecture, so many different styles, Gothic, Renaissance, big showy Baroque confections. So if you're into your instabate, you've got instabate at every turn, even though there are still plenty of grisly reminders of Nazi and Soviet occupation. Now, there's some there's some groups that, that through popular culture have become very, very famous. Um, the Stasi in Germany, but probably the most famous uh, group is the KGB. And they've got a museum. Absolutely. The Atmos at the KGB uh, Museum in Vilnius is stone cold. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> it is melancholic central. Um And it was a former gymnasium, which became the headquarters of the Gestapo and then the Soviet secret police when they kicked out uh, the Nazis. The KGB ruled the roost for nearly 50 years in Lithuania. And the KGB museum does feel like, once again, it's frozen in time because the cells are exactly how the KGB officers left them when they fled Lithuania in 1991. That's a bit like my wardrobe then. (laughs) Um, The execution and torture chambers in the basement, they are particularly sobering, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. So over a 1,000 locals were executed here, while untold thousands uh, were shipped off to Siberia. All the colour drained from my guide's face as she told me how... She was shocked to discover her neighbour was a KGB officer. Yeah. Um, and she thought he was the loveliest of neighbours. <laughs> uh, and shortly after Lithuania was unclenched from the Soviet fist, the truth came out. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that too. Mm. Um, so, you know, after that, uh, how do you how do you lift the mood there? Well, she took us to a lovely gallery with some very uplifting photos. <laughs> And um, they're very, very proud, the Baltic states, of what they call the Baltic Way, which is probably one of the most famous mass demonstrations of the 20th century. So two million people linked hands just over 30 years ago along the major highways of the Baltic states uh, to demand peace and independence. And this human chain covered the same distance as Whangarei to Wellington. Wow. So that wish was granted two years after they joined hands. Um, Just very quickly, one other little haunting reminder of um, horrors past. Just out of town, just out of Vilnius, I passed Panerai Forest. Now, this is the forest where the Nazis exterminated Mm. 100 thousand people most of them jews from vilnius yeah and it's very sobering indeed so i mean if you've yeah if you've if you've come from the germany side and then actually go to vilnius you can um in fact if you're in germany look up the stasi museums which are very similar to the kgb museums yeah you could actually make a whole trip of it and yeah 
Very sobering. Uh, okay, speaking of war, we mentioned Gallipoli at the start of this episode, mm. and battle site tours are very poignant, very popular, yeah. and Gallipoli Peninsula is a lot bigger than most people actually realise. Oh my goodness, it's massive. Uh, yeah. The first time I set eyes on Gallipoli, I was blown away just how sprawling and steep it is. I was working on a Greek cruise ship in the late 1990s, and the ship that I was working on, I was the DJ in the Taverna. I know that. I remember um, this, yes. The ship used to do weekly sailings from Athens to Istanbul, right? So along the way, we would pass Gallipoli Peninsula twice a week in and out of Istanbul. In fact, it was a Greek um, mate of mine on the ship, Vasily, who pointed out to me the New Zealand monument. Mm. I had no idea about the, the structure, the layout of Gallipoli at the time. Um, but yeah, the highest peak on Gallipoli Peninsula is Chanuk Bear, and that's where the New Zealand monument is, this big concrete mm. um, colossus on the top of the mountain. Um, so, yeah, it was very cool to see. And well, that's the thing with travel, okay? So we're now in, a, in an age where we can go online and look at it. With Gallipoli, okay, we've seen the beach. We know about the beach. We yeah. think it's the beach, you know, With uh, but there's so much more. With the concentration camps, Auschwitz-Birkenau, Dachau, you know, Dachau sometimes Sachsenhausen, 27 main camps, over a 1,000 other camps. You know, you actually got to get get into these countries and have a look around because mm. it's more than just the photographs you see. Now, you've done the Anzac pilgrimage several times. Um, has, do you think it's become a rite of passage for young Kiwis and Aussies? I think so, yeah. Um, it certainly has been a very popular pastime amongst Australasians who perhaps are based in Britain doing their rowee. Mm. Um, a lot easier, obviously, from London to get to oh, Gallipoli than from New Zealand or Australia. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the... Trips. A lot of the tours are tailor-made as like backpacker trips from London. Um, but I don't know, Andrew, of any other place in the world where tens of thousands of young Kiwis and Aussies will gather on a frigidly wind-swept shoreline and keep vigil through the night in their sleeping bag uh, to pay tribute to our forebears. So it is quite an exceptional and unique um, experience to go to Gallipoli for the Anzac Day dawn service. Um, if you saw the coverage from Gallipoli a couple of weeks ago on Anzac Day, you may have noticed the crowds were very thin. Mm. So hopefully, post-pandemic, yes. uh, that will start to change in the next few years. I mean, we all hear about the dawn service. You know, people yeah. get up at early to go to the dawn service. They drive there in their nice cars, etc. in New Zealand. But actually, Gallipoli. Gallipoli, yeah. how powerful is the dawn service? I would say it's a spiritual experience. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So just before the dawn service starts, the thing which really struck me is there is just this fog of silence blanketing Anzac Cove. Everyone mm. is standing, like you know something important about to begin, and it's just total silence, reverential silence. Mm. Um, and you feel the goosebumps, and I don't think the goosebumps are just from the pre-dawn chill either. And you sort of gaze across the sea and you just realise how absurdly huge the distance is to home. And what the hell were our people ever doing there, <laughs> um, you know, so far from home? And then your thoughts turn to the all-out terror that must have confronted those first Anzac landings as they nervously waited out on the water. The chaos, the bloodshed, the waste of life. And then with that first shaft of light, uh, the official service uh, of remembrance begins. But I'd have to say, when it comes to national anthems, um, there seems to be something particularly special about hearing the New Zealand national anthem at Gallipoli. That's the thing that's really etched in my memory. 
I know what you mean. Um, and actually, you're right because, and certainly for me, when I visited, you know, the the concentration and death camps, but everybody I know that's visited there, there's an eerie silence. Yeah. Even if people are talking, it still feels like an eerie silence. Yeah. I don't know anyone that's visited them and come away without going, holy heck. Yeah. It's like a soup of silence. It is. It's so thick, isn't it? You can feel what went on there. You can feel what went on at Gallipoli. You can feel what happened at Sachsenhausen. Yeah. You, you, yeah, it's visceral. Yeah. Okay. Finally, we should make mention of the 9 11 Memorial Museum. Ground Zero? Yeah, indeed. And in fact, this museum celebrates its eighth anniversary this week. Wow. The amazing thing is, over 50 million people wow. have been through it mm. in eight years. So, this is very much now one of New York's essential experiences. Um, next to the reflecting pools, which, of course, were created out of the uh, footprint of the Twin Towers. They're right next door to the museum. Um, The thing that struck me about the museum, Andrew, is hearing the desperate phone messages left by people trapped in the towers. Yeah. That really gets you. Um, Just, you know, such loving and frantic calls and fatalistic calls. Um, There was that sort of sense of resignation in their voices. You'll see the survivors' stairs at the museum. So these were used by hundreds of people to flee the inferno. You'll see the mangled fire truck from from Recollection Ladder 3, they call it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Scorched steel beams. You'll see the jumpers, photos of the jumpers. Um, There's a lot of tissue boxes, by the way, next to those photos. So there should be. Um, Yeah, but yeah, the scale of this disaster cannot be and has not been Disney-fied at the museum. Okay, if you're in that part of the world, by the way, try and stop at Hawaii and um, actually go to Pearl Harbor. Yes. And also go to Punchbowl Cemetery. Now, Punchbowl Cemetery is near Pearl Harbor, nearish, um, and that's where the military cemetery is. And there are rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows. And anyway, you mm. get the picture. And it's also where the, the NASA astronauts were buried. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, you know the most amazing thing about Pearl Harbor? Yes. And I checked this when I was last there a couple of years ago. Yeah. The diesel is still, still coming, coming out up. of Arizona. I know. And, <laughs> and by the way, what Mike's referring to is you can actually go in a boat over the USS Arizona that was sunk in Pearl Harbor, mm. and the diesel has been leaking out of there and still leaks out of there to this day. Yeah. It is fabulous. Mm. Um in a very sobering way. Yeah. That is it for this edition. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page. Our show notes, as always, are available on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. If you need some great travel reading, be sure to check out our sister publication, For the Love of Travel, the website address, fortheloveoftravel.nz. Fortheloveoftravel.nz. Plus, we'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters wherever you get your podcast. And we will catch you again in a fortnight when we take a trip to the Gold Coast. Take care. Thanks for listening. Tilly ho. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. 